Welcome into the Talk of Tide podcast on the Belly Up Podcast Network. I'm Chase Goodbread, the sports columnist with the Tuscaloosa News. Travis Ryer, the longtime senior analyst at BamaOnline.com along as well. A lot to get to on this SEC championship game preview edition of the Talking Tide podcast. Our Twitter feed, Talking underscore Tide. Get immediate links to all of our podcasts right there, twice weekly, throughout the football season. We are live on Facebook. We're live on YouTube. You can find us on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you prefer to get your podcasting. You can find Talking Tide. I want to thank Peter Brook Chocolatier of Tuscaloosa and Heat Pizza Bar, two fine local sponsors of the Talking Tide podcast. More on both of those fine establishments later in the program. But first, we dive right in. Travis here in this midweek edition to preview Alabama and Georgia in the SEC title game. Of course, your reset on that one. It'll be a 4 p.m. local time, 3 p.m. central time kickoff on Saturday. CBS broadcast, Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta. And the stage is set, Travis, for uh, an epic tilt that'll have the eyes of the nation upon it. It absolutely will in a town that has been very, very good to the Alabama Crimson Tide under Nick Saban. Eight SEC titles for Alabama under Nick, and of course, all eight of those wins took place in either the Georgia Dome or Mercedes-Benz Stadium. And just looking specifically at this series with Georgia, whether it's been Atlanta or Athens, what, the last six trips over there for Alabama have gone pretty much the way of the Crimson Tide. No doubt about it. Uh, and, of course, most recently, a couple of years ago, Alabama uh, knocked off Georgia in the SEC title game, and then Georgia turned around, beat Alabama in the national championship game. That's where this 29-game win streak for the Bulldogs got started. Alabama handed Georgia their most recent loss exactly two years ago. Uh, so it kind of comes full circle now. Alabama, Travis, kind of – uh, the, the narrative on Alabama, Travis, pretty much ever since that national championship loss to Georgia has been, hey, this program is in a, a decline, a slow decline, a gradual decline, but a, a decline nonetheless. But here we are two years later, and everybody else Georgia has played has had their crack and failed, and now it's Alabama with a shot to come for, full circle and, and bring the dogs down. Yeah, and it really shouldn't come as a surprise because when you look at these two teams in a lot of ways, they're mirror images. Obviously, we know the court, uh, the coaching ties and the storylines there with Kirby and Nick and then even moving into the Georgia staff uh, from that perspective. Uh, but just the way they're built, the way they recruit, the way they develop, the way they have started to cherry pick the transfer portal uh, the last couple of years – it all lines up, so it makes perfect sense that if someone is going to end this Georgia winning streak this season, and this this may be it. I know people are going to tell me Michigan or some other. No, no. I think this is the best chance for someone to knock off Georgia before the 2024 season. All right, we'll dive right in now to nuts and bolts, X's and O's. We'll start with that Alabama offense versus the Georgia defense. Travis, first and foremost, thoughts from me, can Alabama run the football against this Georgia defense? It's absolutely going to be critical for Alabama, I think, to have some, some balance offensively. 
we've seen Alabama run the ball effectively in some pretty good games, maybe not dominantly, but but effectively. And that's going to be crucial, I think. And, and, and another factor, too, I think, is is that the Georgia pass rush and this 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 other thing, this other factor, I think, probably could favor Alabama a little bit. There's really not a bell cow pass rusher on this Georgia defense, right? They've had 26 sacks, which is uh, not a great number for 12 games. And it's been sacks by committee, right? It's not like there's one guy with 10 or 12 uh, for the Bulldogs. It's kind of what you want if you're Alabama, right? Because Alabama's had some issues in pass protection, especially early in the season. They've cleaned some of that up. Uh, but between out the, the two things that stand out for me, Alabama offensively, one, they got to be able to run the ball at least decently, if, if not really well. And they got to be able to protect Jalen Milrow. And I think this is a game that, that they could do it if, if they run their protections right. Yeah, I think the balance within the run game is going to be fascinating to watch play out too. Is it going to be uh, Roydell Williams, Jace McClellan, if he's able to go with that foot, uh, Jam Miller, maybe you get into Justice Haynes. What do you get from your backs? And not just in terms of rushing yards, scrimmage yards. This is one of those kind of games too. Can you throw it to your backs successfully? Not a, not a big running back uh, receiving team. Uh, but Alabama's had success on occasion. More so, though, you talk about kind of the lack of Georgia's edge pass rush. Uh, they like, they'll bring those linebackers, though. And so from a protection standpoint, if Jace can't go, I th- think you still feel pretty good about Roydell Williams. He is a physical dude. He's a guy that's been around. So, you know, he has that age and maturity to him that should help him hold up in that regard. But within the run game, how – dependent are you on Jalen Milrose legs can you get enough out of your backs to sort of balance things out I think that's a question for both these teams going into this game yeah I don't see a big difference between McClellan and Roydell Williams in terms of carrying the football I do think McClellan's a little bit more consistent in pass protection and that always plays a role especially against the blitz because it's that fifth guy coming uh, that a lot of times you need the running back to take care of uh, which is not to say that Roydell Williams can't protect the passer because he can. I do think McClellan's a little bit more consistent about it. Uh, and one f- factor, too, to mention Travis Jamon Dumas Johnson, the outstanding Georgia linebacker dealing with a broken arm. He's week to week. Kirby Smart quite coy this week about his availability. Uh, we'll see if he's able to go. And, and as with a lot of injuries this late in the season, whether you're talking about McClellan or Dumas Johnson or Alad McConkey or whoever, sometimes it's not so much will they or won't they go, but how effective will they be if they go? Yeah, this is essentially a college football playoff game. We can call it the SEC championship game, but for both these teams, that's what it essentially boils down to. And so in that scenario, you know everyone that can possibly give it a go in this game is going to do everything they can to start the game by being involved. As you said, now from that point forward, it becomes more of a 
of an issue maybe for a couple of these guys. So totally expect Brock Bowers to play. Totally expect Lad McConkey to play. Totally expect Ra Ra Thomas to play for Georgia. For Alabama, I got to think that Jace McClellan, at least in pregame warmups, is going to be out there seeing exactly what he can do on that foot. But I also agree, this could be more of a Roydell Williams kind of game, especially stylistically the way that he runs. One cut, get what you can get, because I don't think this is going to be a game of explosive runs for running backs. I don't think that's Kendall Milton's game for Georgia. I don't think that's Dejon Edwards' game for Georgia. And I think for Alabama's backs, it's going to be if there's four to five yards for you to get, go get the four to five because there's right. a good chance if there's explosives for Alabama, they're going to come from the quarterback position. Two, probably worth noting, Travis, that when it comes to the short yardage game, I, I think Alabama kind of leans toward Roydell in a lot of ways. And you see that with the way they line up the the tush-push formation. They've got Jamarian Miller and Roydell in the backfield with Miller and Oots uh, kind of lined up cat a corner to, to Milrow uh, and, and, and then Williams in the backfield. I think this staff feels real good about – Roydell Williams in the third and ones, and if necessary, the fourth and ones. Yeah, they trusted him on that fourth and one in the fourth quarter at Auburn, right, to go get that yard. And that was some nice execution in that tush-push formation that they audibled out of the sneak and into the toss to. So, yeah, again, Roydell's, you know, he's been in it, you know, for a few years now. You know, these are guys, and Jace and Roydell Williams, they were part of a national championship team in 2020. So, uh, I, I like Roydell in a game like this. I'm not saying he's going to have a big day, maybe statistically, but when it comes to ball security, when it comes to pass protection, when it comes to picking up short yardage opportunities, whether it's red zone, whether it's third downs, which both of those will be huge in this game, I would think, uh, you, you feel pretty good about him. Throwing the football for Alabama with Jalen Milrow, Travis. There's we've we've seen Milrow get a lot of mileage with the verticals outside the numbers, particularly with Jermaine Burton as well. We've seen a lot of uh, C.J. Dupree, Malik Benson inside the numbers, inside the hashes with uh, you know dig routes over the middle and so forth. How do you see? Where do you see Georgia's defense maybe being? most vulnerable against the pass is it the deep shot with the vertical stuff or is it in the middle of of the field where you can get more matchups against linebackers and safeties yeah yeah, I think it's a a couple different ways I I still like Isaiah Bond inside working against these sub package uh, defensive backs and that could be Tyke Smith for Georgia this week Uh, a really good tackler by the way I think Kamari Lassiter and Malachi Starks, when I look at the Georgia secondary, uh, Lassiter, the corner from Tuscaloosa. Malachi Starks has been an outstanding player in each of his two seasons. Um, I, I think that's where I, I look to to the biggest challenges maybe for Alabama. So, um, yeah, that's that's what I would think. And then, you, you know, for all the talk about Brock Bowers, you know, Alabama's got a couple of X-factor guys too. Amari Nyblack from the tight end position and also Kendrick Law, you know, and the different things that Alabama started to do with him and the quick game, the easy touches that they're able to get him out on the perimeter. Um, You know, those are a couple of guys, sort of the utility type players that Georgia has in Bowers and Dylan Bell. Um, Those are the kind of guys that can decide a lot of this on Saturday, too. 
Yeah, I had somebody tap me on the shoulder. Uh, a reporter nudged me during the Iron Bowl on the Plains this, this past Saturday uh, who'd seen Alabama play a game or two, but not all year. And he, and he said, is Kendrick Law Alabama's Debo Samuel? And, and what I told him was, I, I said, he doesn't get Debo touches, but he kind of plays that Debo role. Right. He does. Where's the same number? So it, it would make a lot of sense that uh, you would draw those comparisons. And he is. I mean, he's a hybrid type player. That's what he is. He's a utility type player. And again, some of the same things that George will do with Brock Bowers, um, Alabama to a little bit of a different extent, uh, does with Kendrick Law. Certainly not the targets and the touches for Kendrick that you're going to see for Brock Bowers, but maybe more along the lines of Dylan Bell. Uh, who Georgia uses in a pretty similar fashion. All right, the Alabama defense going against the Georgia offense. We'll turn to that conversation really quickly. Phenomenal year for Carson Beck as a first-year starter at quarterback for Georgia. Travis, he's hitting 73% of his passes as a completion rate. Protection-wise, Georgia's been outstanding. He's only been sacked 10 times in 12 games, less than once per game, so – you know, that Georgia offensive line has really been an engine uh, up front for uh, the Bulldogs. And speaking of that, get this now, Georgia, I didn't realize this until I just saw it earlier today. Georgia's 57% for the year on third down, Travis. That's that's outrageous. They are. And, well, a lot of that is they're able to stay on schedule. I don't think they get in a lot of third downs, maybe relative to a lot of teams in the Southeastern Conference. And if they do, they're probably favorable thirds. They're not living in third and eight in this offense. So uh, a couple of things to consider there. Uh, But absolutely, um, you know, that's where it's going to be critical for Alabama on early downs to get the job done against the run, but not just the run, but the quick passing game. Georgia likes to, to throw the quick screens and, you know, try to get those type of uh, quick throws out to the perimeter and see what you got under your hood as far as edge setting with your corners and maybe your sub-package guys like Malachi Moore, Caleb Downs. Uh, and then when they do throw it a lot of times, uh, they've set it up in a way where they're going to have a, a good bit of success. But, you know, again, some question marks with those receivers between Bowers and McConkey and Ra-Ra Thomas and, you know, exactly who George is going to have available I think it's it's been a really good thing for the dogs that they went to the portal in the in the offseason that they did because Dom Lovett coming in from Missouri has been uh, pretty productive with 49 catches, 552 yards, and and three touchdowns. But you know we'll see how some of these guys in terms of availability are able to contribute for UGA. It's been a balanced offense for Georgia, no question about it. Uh, the running game for Georgia. Fairly similar production-wise to Alabama. I think Georgia averages about 185 a game running the ball. Alabama not far off of that, 175, 178, I think, in that neighborhood for the Crimson Tide. Uh, but, you know, stopping the run is going to be big. And, and Alabama, of course, Travis is coming off a game where they just got exposed on the ground by Auburn. The, 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 the Tigers at home – uh, ran for, I don't know, 250, 260, whatever it was against Alabama. Uh, that can't happen against Georgia. So, you know, if you're Georgia, you watch that tape, you got to think, hey, we can, we can uh, 
pick up a lot of mileage on the ground. If you're Alabama, on the other hand, you watch that Auburn tape and you say, well, this is the first thing defensively we better shore up. I, I think Auburn uh, maybe exposed a few things for the Alabama coaching staff as far as what they need to focus on in practice. Yeah, you know, I think a little different kind of backs, too, from Auburn to Georgia. When I think of Hunter and Austin, I think of guys that are probably at their best working those perimeter runs that were so problematic for Alabama uh, early in the game. Not just the perimeter runs either, because, I mean, Hunter hit a big one off an interior run. But for the most part, you know, I think Edwards and Milton for Georgia are going to probably be at their best when working more between the tackles. So I just don't think there's going to be a bunch of surprises in this one, man. I think both of these teams just kind of look at each other and say, you know, we, we got great players, we got elite talent, and uh, we're going to have a wrinkle or two in there this week. I'm sure both teams will have something like that. But uh, they trust themselves and their people and their systems enough that here it is. Let's see if you can stop it. Yeah, it, the interior defensive line for Alabama, starting with Tim Keenan and – you know, Jaheim Otis plays that end spot, but he's a big part of that interior defense too because he does, he's not coming around the edge. Got to stay uh, in he, the gaps. Got to yeah, stay in the he, gaps this week. There's guys jumping out of gaps last week. There were guys that were in gaps, uh, missed gaps. Um, you got to be a lot more sound this week than you were last week. All right, moving on, Travis. The Vegas man has the Georgia Bulldogs favored by five and a half points. In this one, the over-under... 54 and a half, your thoughts on both of those numbers? I guess I like the under by just a little bit. The score I'm thinking, you know, I'm thinking first to 27 or 28 wins this game. So maybe a 27, 28, 24 kind of total for 52, 51 points. So I would be under that. And I think Alabama covers the five and a half. Um, Georgia may very well win the game. But I don't, I don't think it's going to be by uh, a touchdown or more. I think it's going to be, you know, tight for sixty minutes. I like Alabama to cover that five and a half too. I think that overcomes in. I think it's going to be a little bit yeah. higher scoring. We'll see what happens. I know uh, um, both of these coaches tend to play a little more conservative. I think conservative. I think in some of these bigger games with high stakes, and that would lend itself to the under. Uh, but I just got a feeling this thing might be a little bit more of a shootout. Uh, we'll see what happens. Ticket man, Travis, he's loving this one. Uh, the upper deck seats right now in Mercedes Benz stadium. Of course, this is just online. These are people trying to get what they can get. The number falls usually around game time. Uh, but the upper deckers, Travis around three fifty to four fifty. And the boys with prime seats, Travis, they're asking 2K a seat for this one. Do they get it? But we got this recession on. I got to do for me and mine. Yeah, right. You can't tell it by what people are willing to pay for uh, college football tickets. I get it, man. It's, It's the Southern Super Bowl at least. It feels like 2012 in a lot of ways, too. It feels like whoever wins this game is going to have a great shot to just go on right. and win it all if Alabama wins and can get in the college football playoff. Um, but, at, you know, I totally get it. It's a great venue. It is the best matchup in college football and has been for 
more than a few years now. And uh, also, you haven't seen them since that 2021 season. Didn't see them play last year, you know? Haven't right. seen them so far this year. It's not a rematch. All those things, all those things combined to help the ticket man a pretty good bit. Ticket man will like it. As far I don't know the answer to that. As far as you know, Travis, is that 1992 deal where if you bought tickets, you could basically grab a PSL, right? A yeah. permanent seat license. I know people and, and, still and get have them. Face them. So they're still doing that. I think they are. I knew some friends of ours that live in Knoxville. It was a, it was a Florida, Tennessee couple. Mm-hmm. And all those years ago, their families bought them before the mm-hmm. 92 game. And best I can recall, or maybe they changed it when they went to Mercedes-Benz Stadium, but I can tell you through the Tebow years at Florida and end of the kind of teens of, of the 2000s, they were doing it. And, and even if their teams didn't make it, they were selling them, you know, and making money off of that deal. Right. I'll tell you what. I the dumbest thing I ever did was not buy four yeah. for that 1992 game because if you if you bought four for that one and you decided, yeah, I'll sign the deal, I'll take face value tickets every year to the SEC championship game, hell, it's been 31, 30 years now. Yeah. You're talking about a retirement nugget if you just sell four year after year and roll that over. Are you kidding me? Well, and especially with what I spent on just the 2008, 2009 Alabama Florida games in the SEC mm. championships. Yeah. That that's a point where I was really wishing I had done the uh the buy ahead all those years ago. You know uh Tex Titer is a fan of the show, Travis, when he drops in with a never trust a lot. R U N O F T Love it. Love it. All right. The Talking Tide podcast on the Belly Up Podcast Network. Moving on, we're going to thank a couple of sponsors really quick. We're going to start by telling you all about Heat Pizza Bar and that fantastic pizza that Frank Fleming and his staff are serving up at 2250 6th Street over in Government Square in Tuscaloosa. Full bar, flash screens all over the place with all the top sports going on. Great location. Plenty of parking in that public parking garage right behind the pizza bar. You can't beat it. I'm going to tell you about a couple of pizzas that we don't usually mention here, but they're, uh, they bear mention. The Greek pizza is one of the specialty pizzas over at Heat Pizza Bar. It's got a balsamic vinaigrette base, house-baked chicken, red onion, grape tomato, green bell pepper, Kalamata olives, banana pepper, mozzarella, and feta cheese. Can't beat that. Also, the Aloha pizza, house red sauce, ham, pineapple, jalapeno, red onion, and mozzarella. You can't beat that one either over at Heat Pizza Bar. Be sure uh, to check them out again, 2256th Street in Government Square Plaza. Fantastic pizza, the best in town. Great sides, great salads, and a great atmosphere over at Heat Pizza Bar. Yeah, be sure to tell our pal, five-star Frank Fleming, we sent you. That's right. As well, five-star Frank. Yes. I'm going to tell you about Peterbrook Chocolatier out there at 1530 McFarland Boulevard North in the Indian Hills section of Tuscaloosa for 16 years. The champions of chocolate, Peterbrook. And, of course, it is the holiday season. And if you haven't already placed that order, maybe for your office, for your business, 
They do great, great gifts right there at Peterbrook Chocolatier. Call them at 205-752-0211. Talk to Caitlin, that outstanding staff. They'll get you situated. You still got time, but you need to do it soon. Those gifts that you can order right there from Peterbrook Chocolatier, 205-752-0211. The champions of chocolate, Peterbrook. All right, the Talking Tide podcast on the Belly Up Podcast Network, the Twitter feed, Talking underscore Tide, live on YouTube, live on Facebook as well, Travis. I uh, got to dive right into the CFP discussion, which you and I have kind of really just kind of stuck our toes in at this point. But this late in the game, no more sticking your toes in the water. Time to dive right in. Uh, huge implications for Alabama elsewhere. Uh, the real quick rundown of the other championship games going on and what they might mean for the Crimson Tide. That Pac-12 championship game, Oregon versus Washington, that's the first one to go off. It'll be Friday night, 7 p.m. Central Time. The Big 12 game, Texas versus Oklahoma State, Saturday, 11 a.m. Central Time. Then, of course, you've got Alabama-Georgia kicking off at 3. And then in the evening on Saturday night, the ACC title game, FSU Louisville, that'll be a 7 p.m. Central Time kick. And Michigan, Iowa is going to be playing uh, head to head for ratings against that ACC game, Travis. Also a 7 p.m. kick. Uh, what are your thoughts, Travis, on how much help Alabama may or may not need from these other games, given if they're able to beat Georgia uh, to make the CFP? Well, I mean, seeing as how Alabama's sitting there at eight, you got to think they need some at least. And, you know, I don't know what you're really going to get at this point if Oregon knocks off Washington State. Does that really help Alabama given the committee's uh, seeming uh, seemingly love for the Ducks, even with a resume that if you put it next to Alabama's doesn't kind of hold up, I wouldn't think. I, look, I've been of the mindset for a while now, and it, it survived Auburn last Saturday because obviously if Alabama loses that game, it doesn't matter Sure, with two losses. But if Alabama got to Atlanta at 11 and one and Georgia got to Atlanta at 12 and 0, uh, that is the start of the college football playoff. We can talk about championship Saturday this week and I, and, and Friday and I'll watch, I'm interested. I'm ready to watch Washington and Oregon. But if we want to talk about a legitimate college football playoff, and if you're trying to envision or tell me about a scenario that doesn't involve the SEC, an SEC rep, then it's it's not legitimate. It's illegitimate in my concern. It's not valid. You're not validating a true champion. If Alabama beats Georgia and is the team in Georgia's 31-game stretch that has seen the Dogs win two national titles, in 29 games, if Alabama's that one team that hands Georgia, it's only two losses in that stretch, and you're going right. to tell me Alabama's not in this college football playoff? I don't give a damn what else happens anywhere else. Right. I really don't. You're going to tell me Florida State without Jordan Travis is a better team than Alabama in, in a I scenario? I mean, I get it. Look, it, to me, it feels like it's almost more in the lap of the college football playoff. I don't think Alabama should be sweating it as much or the SEC as much as that selection committee should be sweating it. Because if Alabama wins, 
then they got a real problem on their hands. They got a real problem. And, and if they still find it within themselves to keep Alabama out or the SEC out altogether, well, you don't have a college football playoff. You have the NIT of football. Well, I think what you've touched on here is the difference between the four best teams right now that ought to be ought to be in the playoff versus the whole deserving thing or, you know, some of the words of Clint Eastwood deserving's got nothing to do with it. (laughs) That's right. And the unforgiven, right. Uh, in a, in a worst case scenario, well, I mean, the worst case for Alabama certainly is, is losing to Georgia. That said, if Alabama beats Georgia and gets no help and you've got an undefeated Michigan, they've kept Alabama down at eight, they They have moved Alabama up to the top of the one loss crew. Yes. Even ahead of Texas. And I'll tell you why, not just because of head to head. But Alabama, its its last loss, yes, did come to Texas. But that mm. was in late September. We've seen Texas lose since then. Right. So it's Alabama that's on more of a heater, if we want to look at it from that standpoint, against better teams, by right. the way, than what Texas has played. Better teams, no doubt about it. Here, here's the way I look at it. I I think if, if Alabama beats Georgia – and gets no help. Yeah, committee's got a real problem on their hands. Are they going to leave the entire? If Alabama beats Georgia, you don't how put do you Alabama. Put Georgia in. In. You're not putting Georgia how do, in either. How do you you don't leave Georgia the whole in. SEC out Hell, of the playoffs. If Alabama barely beats Georgia, the SEC should get two. Should get two. <laughs> yeah. Not one. Not zero. Two. I mean, if we really want to identify the true national champion. Right. This college football season. Otherwise, it's just, you know, look, I love college gymnastics, but the problem I have with a sport like that is it is subjective. It's just I can watch 20 routines, right? And not be able to tell the difference between a 9.9 and a 10. Right. But these, but, but they get broken down to 9.975, 9.965, you know. That's what it'll that's what it'll ultimately come down to. The committee desperately needs Georgia just to go ahead, win the game Saturday, and then you're good. The committee really needed Alabama to lose last Saturday. You know? Makes things easier for them if Georgia gets the job done. They're gonna be put in a spot, Travis, potentially, where they're gonna have to do something they've never done before, right? They've never left an undefeated power five out. They've never left an SEC champion out, right? So if you go by by precedent and what they've always done in the past, they're gonna they're, they're gonna be a couple of factors that are gonna weigh against each other. They're gonna have to do something they've never done before. Here's what I think. I and this is this is apart from what should happen because I'm with you on what should happen. I'm just talking about what will happen. Yeah, no, I won't I, be surprised if what you're about to say is what actually happens. I think Alabama had to, to get in. I think Alabama needs to beat Georgia and get help. And I wrote this earlier today. I think they need help from one other game, and it can come from any of the four. It can come from the ACC game, the Big 12 game, the Pac-12 game, the Big 10 game. If Alabama wins and anybody else among those four catches a loss that would help Alabama 
the committee is going to find a way to get Alabama in there. They just are. Um, and the most likely help for Alabama is Oregon over Washington and Louisville over Florida State. The, both of those scenarios could easily happen, right? Michigan losing, Texas losing, both of those are unlikely. But I do think that if Oregon beats Washington, I don't think the committee will even blink about jumping Alabama over both of them, Oregon and Washington. Then why didn't you have Alabama ahead of Oregon already? Why why did you go this whole route with Alabama? Not like one spot behind Oregon, right? A couple of spots. A couple of three spots behind Oregon. And all of this is why I only watch one of the rankings reveal shows. It is a Twitter follow for me on Tuesday nights. Yep. It's why I only watched the Sunday after championship Friday and Saturday. Boo Corrigan, Travis. That first game pantload for about a month of television. (laughs) That's right. I watch cooking shows on YouTube on Tuesday nights (laughs) before I watch that horse crap. I'm with you. I haven't watched a single reveal show all year. I, I haven't I do, watched I one second of one nope. reveal show. Me neither. And, I, and I, I look, I get it. I appreciate the, the interest it creates. The fans have fun. Good. But in terms of what I do or what I care about, nada. Doesn't mean a thing until the first week of December. All right, before we get out of here, uh, we're going to close out the Tumblr. I've been remiss. I've uh, skipped the Tumblr here the got last a lonely, couple weeks. Got a lonely Chad in there. That's right. Did not even bring the Tumblr to Heat Pizza Bar last week when we did a live remote over there. But uh, let's go ahead and get this guy out of here. I guess there's no need to even spin the Tumblr, right? When there's, <laughs> only one, <laughs> there's only one in there. Uh, but uh, what do we creates, have here? Create some drama. You know, when yeah. you do that. that's what the CFP selection committee is going to do Sunday. Maybe just put them all in a tumbler. We've got there number go. 74 here yes. in the tumbler freshman he, left tackle, Caden Proctor, Travis, a guy who's, um, he's improved a great deal from the beginning of the season. I still see some issues with his play. I think the center position and the left tackle position are the two spots that are the biggest concerns for Alabama overall on that offensive line. Uh, but he has gotten better, and, and this coaching staff has figured out a way to get him some help. And, and uh, look, he, he's, uh, uh, he's no star over there by any stretch of the imagination, uh, but, he, but he's come around some since, uh, since September for sure. Yeah, he's not a star yet, and he'll have a, a challenge this week in Michael Williams uh, for Georgia. But I do think his improvement, while it has taken place, I don't think there's any denying that. I think it also coincided, Chase, with Alabama getting through that first seven or eight games where it was more front-loaded with edge guys that could be problematic, right? Right. Defenses in general that could do that. Um, I know you say that about LSU and you think, what about Harold Perkins? Well, LSU hasn't consistently used Harold Perkins as just a down-in, down-out edge guy. Um, Kentucky didn't have that kind Proctor, of guy. Proctor barely saw Perkins. Yeah, Chattanooga that obviously didn't have that guy. Um, Auburn last week really didn't have an edge guy. 
and even Georgia, as, as you mentioned earlier in the show, I, I don't think as much this week that should be a problem. So it's kind of timed out right. He had to take some lumps against better competition relative to his position in the first seven or eight games of the season, and then it kind of lightened up for him. But I do still think, like you said, I think it's obvious that he's made some strides. All right, that is going to do it for this edition of the Talking Tide podcast right here on the Belly Up Podcast Network. Be sure to join Travis and I once again on Sunday night when we recap Alabama's SEC championship game against the Georgia Bulldogs. For Travis Ryer of BamaOnline.com, I'm Chase Goodbread of the Tuscaloosa News, and we'll talk to you next time right here on Talking Tide.